right. Well, good morning, church family. Good morning. It is good to be with you here today. It's great to see uh, new leaders being mobilized and activated in the life of our church, different members of the body coming together to uh, advance the kingdom of God. And so blessings on our new leaders. It's, uh, it's good to be part of this church. Um, it is, uh, it's a blessing, and uh, I pray that in the next uh, season that God leads us through, that uh, his provision would go before us, that as we just sang a few moments ago, we sang about the goodness of God. Um, I pray that the goodness of God would be strong in your life uh, in the coming days, and uh, even in these next few moments as we're about to open up God's word. I pray that you would sense the goodness of God close to you. And so, uh, as Pastor Aaron mentioned, my name is Dan Min, and uh, for most of the time I'm on campus, but uh, this morning I have the, the extra joy and the privilege of, of bringing God's word to you here, and I am bringing the next installment of this, this series that uh, we've been in called Seven Critical Questions. And uh, in this series, we've been addressing some vital questions that impact our lives as individual believers, uh, but then also our, our lives corporately as a church community. And today's question in particular addresses the very issue of what is God up to in this particular community of believers? Within our church family, within this immediate context, what is God up to? What is God doing? And the precise question we're looking at is this. What is the culture that God is shaping in us? What is the culture that God is shaping in us? Or to put it slightly differently, or to, to look at it from a slightly different lens or a different angle, what kinds of people is God calling us to become? What kinds of people is God calling us to become? What kind of culture is God shaping in and around us? Now, if you've been part of any kind of affinity-based group, uh, you'll know that there's a kind of cultural norm within that group. It's sort of an unspoken rule within that group, like within that community. You know, it's like, th this is how we do things. Right? Like, this is how we do, like, this is how we do things around here. Like, you might not be familiar with how we do things, but this is kind of how things run. And so, for instance, if you're part of a running community, State College has a strong running community here, lots of runners, and if you're part of a running community, it's assumed that you generally enjoy running, right? Like you, you enjoy running, and so if you've never run a mile in your life, or you think that the notion of running, I mean, it makes you want to vomit, like you, you probably won't ever find yourself in a running community, in a running group, but if you do, you would find that this is what we do around here. We run for the love of it, for the delight of it. We enjoy it, right? For me, in recent years, uh, I've gotten pretty deep into the coffee world, um, and I, I've always loved coffee. I've always enjoyed coffee, but um, my love for coffee went to new depths when my brother-in-law gave me uh, an espresso machine some time ago, and uh, ever since then, I have been sucked deep into the abyss of coffee beans, roasting methods, countries of origin, uh, brewing techniques, extraction time, how to manipulate the beans to pull out different flavors and notes and different flavor pro profiles. And I know, I sound like an uber nerd, you know, a coffee snob to the max, but that's kind of the point. Like, people who love coffee love to geek out on, like, things like that. It's like, you know, maybe that's not your world, but for me, in recent years, I've loved getting into the world of coffee. And it's been fun connecting with different people on the love over coffee. Now, every group, every community, no, no matter where you stumble upon these groups, has a kind of culture. 
They have these connective tissues that bind the group together, that, that bring the group together over this thing. And, and friends, I think it's worthwhile asking the question of us here this morning, what are our connective tissues as a community here? What are the things that bind us together as the people of God, as the church that Jesus is building and growing? What, what defines this culture? What, what are those connective tissues? Well, I think there's, there are a lot of ways to answer that question. And if we were to approach every method and every avenue of answering that question, we'll be here all day. But today, I'd like to look at a short little passage in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 4. And I think this will help us in answering this very critical question here for us this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. And today, we're only going to be looking at five verses, just five short verses But these five short verses, I think, provide some good soil for us to ponder this very important question, to to let this question germinate in our souls, so to speak, for what kinds of people is God wanting to, to, is calling us to be, and what kind of culture is God shaping in us and around us? And so we're going to look at Colossians chapter 4. Pick me up in verse 2, and I'll read through verse 6 here this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, friends, if you know the context of this passage, you'll know that Paul is writing this letter to a church in Colossae. And now, if you don't know the context, you may not know that this church in Colossae is actually not too different from our church today. Contextually speaking, it's, 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 you know, um, there's a great bit of time in between the church in Colossae and the church here in State College or the church in America, but, but the early church in Colossae was all, not, not all that different from the churches that you would encounter today. The early church in Colossae was being influenced by the powers and the cultural forces of the day and of the age. They were dealing with all kinds of issues, issues like watering down of the gospel and questioning the role of Jesus in the life of the believer. I mean, these teachings were beginning to creep into the life of the church and into the rhythm of the church. They were being taught to question the sufficiency of Jesus to the point where they were beginning to add to their, to their faith practices different pagan religious uh, practices and different philosophies. They were weaving in all, these, all of these, uh, uh, these modes of thinking and these approaches to religion and God in sort of this syncretistic way. They were bringing all of this into the church. And in the midst of this, Paul was saying, church, don't lose sight. Jesus is enough. You don't need to add to Jesus. Jesus is sufficient. He is preeminent. I mean, Paul goes on from, from Colossians 1 all the way to Colossians 4, speaking on the supremacy of Christ and orienting our lives, positioning, posturing our lives around his supremacy. 
He's saying, don't lose sight of what's important. And in Colossians 4, the Apostle Paul begins to land the plane. And he says, it's almost as if Paul is saying, in light of all that you're going through, in light of all that's ensuing in the Colossian church, in your community, in light of Christ's supremacy, I want you to pay attention to these particular things. Because this is the kind of culture that God is seeking to shape in you. And friends, I believe this is the kind of culture that God is seeking to shape in us as the people of God here today. And the first is this. The first is a people that would be prayer dependent. A people that would be prayer dependent. God is shaping a culture in the church that would be entirely and utterly prayer dependent. Paul says in verse two, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Some of your translations might say it differently. They might say, devote yourselves to prayer or commit yourselves to prayer. Friends, you wanna know what made the early church such a powerhouse and unstoppable force in the kingdom of God over the kingdoms of this world? Acts chapter two tells us, it says they devoted themselves. There's that, there's that notion of devotion, committing, they, continuing, continuing in steadfastness. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to what? To prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. In other words, the early community of believers were prayer dependent. That was their cultural norm. If you walked into a church service in the early church, they would have greeted you at the door and said, I hope you're ready to pray. Because that's kind of what we do around here. You want to know what the early church does? We, we, we just gather together, we get our eyes upward, and we reach for God. We pray, and that's what we do. We pray first, and we pray often. Now, let me just clarify something before we go any further. It's not that the early church was dependent on the activity of prayer or the discipline of prayer. Uh, some of us might get lost in, in, in maybe, you know, you're, you're asking a theological question. You're saying, wait, wait a second. Like, prayer dependent. I thought we were supposed to be God dependent. And yes, that is the point. The early church was dependent on God and prayer was the primary expression of that reality. You see, we don't want to become pharisaical in this process. We don't want to be, make a discipline the thing that we worship or the thing that we chase after. The spiritual discipline of prayer is simply an outward expression of an inward spiritual reality. Because I have this inescapable need for God, I pray. Because I can't live this life apart from God, I pray. Because I actually believe what Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, therefore, I pray. Prayer is this outward expression of this inescapable inward spiritual reality. That's why I've always admired folks like Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer who held the belief that the more he had to accomplish that day, the more he felt that he had to pray. I'll tell you what, that's not how I operate. When my to-do list gets full, I'm out the door, I'm ready to go. Martin Luther's like, no, no, no. As I look at my to-do list, I'm overwhelmed. Even before I tick off a box, I'm gonna spend a couple of hours in the prayer closet. In fact, he, he, he was noted at, at one point to say, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. I, I mean, talk about a guy who is prayer dependent. 
You know, I, I, I got to be honest with you folks. I would say that I'm dependent on a lot of things. I depend on a lot of things in my life. For instance, I'm dependent on coffee. We established that. I'm a coffee lover. In fact, I got some preachers bring water to the pulpit. I bring coffee. I am coffee dependent. In fact, let me take a sip here. If I don't have a cup of coffee, by the way, my coffee making uh, ritual is like a spiritual experience, okay? It is. I mean, I brew my, I, I grind my own beans and, and, and I, I brew my espresso and I make my lattes and all. It's like I wake up my whole family in the morning, but it's worth it. You know, it's like it's a, da, da, everything grinding, everything's firing up. Um, but but it's, it's, it's where I meet Jesus. It's, it's, it's over a cup of coffee, right? And so, you know, for me, if I don't have a cup of coffee well before 11 a.m., I'll have a headache for the rest of the day. You can count on it. I mean, you know, I, if I don't have coffee, students, don't meet with me because it's not going to be productive. I mean, I, it's just not going to be a good time. And so I am, by, by some measure, by according to some, I would be coffee dependent. Anyone with me? Any coffee dependent folks here? I mean, like, yeah, some of you, yeah, some of you like, uh, proud of it. Yes, sign me up. I am coffee dependent. I remember uh, early on during the pandemic, um, I was deeply dependent on exercise and working out. It was quite literally my emotional stabilizer. If I didn't work out daily, like I would lose my mind. Like going to the gym was my, it was, it was my sanctuary, right? It's like, I sound like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? Like it was, it was my sanctuary. I loved going to the gym. And, and, and part of it was like, it, it helped me sort of, uh, you know, bring everything to kind of level zero. You know, when the world was going crazy, I was able to work out and it was good for my mind, good for my mental health. And so when the gym shut down, I got desperate. And that's when I ended up in the ER because of an accident due to resistance bands. That's another story for a different time and place. Uh, I'll tell you that story at, at another time. But again, some would say that I am exercise dependent. I need it. I need it. Now, if we were real honest with ourselves this morning, I think we could probably rattle off a bunch of things that we cannot live without. Whether it's coffee, or exercise, or you fill in the blank. But, but I can't help but wonder, would prayer end up on that list? Because according to Paul, Paul seems to believe that the people of God is to be marked by a deep dependence on prayer. Like the connective tissue that binds this, this group here, like everyone, like you might not know everyone in here, but do you know that according to scripture, one of the key connective tissues that binds us all together is we are dependent on God, therefore we pray. We pray. Uh, I, I know I'm sensing some of this on campus and, and a few of our leaders, uh, student leaders, are sensing a greater pull towards this. And I know on this side of campus, our mother church here, the State College Alliance Church, is feeling a great pull and a tug towards a greater, pray, greater prayer dependency. In fact, shameless plug, you should all mark your last Sunday of this month, March 27th, and join us right here for our Living Waters prayer service. Every month, at the end of every month, we gather together as the people of God to do one thing, and that's to pray. Because again, we want to be what God has called us to be, a culture that is prayer dependent. To, to gather together as a church family and say, God, we don't have anything apart from you. We can't accomplish anything apart from you. Therefore, we pray. We are prayer dependent. We pray first and we pray often. That's the kind of culture that God is seeking to shape. And it's clear that God is seeking to build a culture that is prayer dependent. The second thing 
that God seems to want to develop in us as a culture is a culture that is gospel fluent. A culture that is gospel fluent. This past October, uh, our pa- pastoral staff, we're, as some of you know, we're part of the Eastern Pennsylvania District of the CMA, the Christian Missionary Alliance, and every year we have an annual district conference that we attend as, as a pastoral staff. And, and this last uh, conference, the speaker for that conference was a pastor and an author by the name of Jeff Vanderstelt. And Jeff wrote a book called Gospel Fluency. I highly encourage you to pick it up, buy it on Amazon and, and, and read it. And, uh, but, but in that book, he provides a, a simple framework for helping people become more fluent in gospel language. Now, what do we mean by that? Uh, I'm not necessarily talking about being able to tell the story of the cross you know, a lot of times when we think about the gospel, we think about what Jesus did on the cross for us. Like, what is the gospel? Oh, the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, for the forgiveness of my sins. And it's about his death and the sacrifice on the cross. Therefore, we think gospel fluency is one's ability to articulate the message of the cross. And to that, I would say, you're right, in part. The gospel is so much more than that. In fact, Jeff Vanderstelt puts it this way. He says, the gospel is not just dogma, though it is doctrine we believe. It's a set of beliefs that we subscribe to. Yes, it is. It's not just history, though it is historical. Like this thing actually happened, right? Like, and he goes on, it's not just past, though it happened, past tense. It happened back then. Jesus did die on the cross. The gospel is the power of God made available to us, friends, today, made available to us through the Son of God who gave his life for us. He is alive, he is at work in those who believe by his power, and that power was exerted, past tense, is presently available, present tense, and will keep us safe until the end, future tense. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for our entire lives from beginning to end. Some people think the gospel is what happened on Calvary's Hill. Yes. It is. Some people believe that the gospel is not so much past, but they think more future. The gospel is my ticket to heaven. Yes, it is. But because of what happened on Calvary's Hill and what is going to happen at the gates of glory, what God is doing today deeply matters. All of that impacts today. The gospel is the power of God at work in us today. Friends, how many of you know, because Jesus is alive, he is at work. Because he is alive, we can know with full confidence and full assurance that he is at work today. Amen? Like that's, that's what we believe to be the good news. The good news isn't just something that happened over 2,000 years ago. The good news isn't something that I'm waiting for, waiting for this good news to come as I wait uh, to come to the gates of glory to be entered into the kingdom of God. That is not the good news exclusively there. The good news is all of that impacts my today and Jesus is good news today for me here and now. It's because Jesus is alive. It's because he's alive, he's at work. And I wonder if that's why Paul said, hey, Colossians, won't you pray for us? 
Pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on, on account of which I'm imprisoned for, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. In other words, hey, Colossians, pray that I would be gospel fluent, would you? Pray that I would be able to clearly and effectively articulate the message of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, the activity of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the presence of Jesus. Pray that I would be able to speak Jesus at every turn and every opportunity that God grants to me. I wonder what kinds of things we might see unfold in our lives if we prayed prayers like that. God, I pray that you would give me at every turn and every opportunity, would you give me an opportunity to speak Jesus, to speak the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he continues to do and what he will proceed to do in the coming days. I wonder what would happen if we prayed prayers like that. By the way, can I just say, in order to be gospel fluent, you've got to know the language in here. You know, as a Korean American, I get asked a lot, so Dan, do you, do you speak any Korean? And I often say, I just look Korean, okay? Uh, you, know, I, you know, back in the day when I was younger, I was much more fluent. In fact, in grade school, I was put in ESL, English as second language, because my Korean was much stronger and much more present. I mean, that's what happens when you grow up with two immigrant parents that came from Korea, and all you speak is the native tongue in the home. And, and so, you know, that, that, was, that was my story. But, but today, my Korean is is not all there. I can sort of get by. I know the basics. I can carry a very simple conversation, but I can say it's not ingrained in here. I'm by no means fluent in Korean. You see, in order to be gospel fluent, we must have the gospel ingrained in here. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is we need to know at our core level the difference that the good news of Jesus makes to us today. Because you want to know something? Most people don't care what happened over 2,000 years ago on a hill called Golgotha. Most people aren't thinking about stepping before the gates of glory once they pass. Heck, most people are having a hard time thinking what their next week looks like, their next day. And if we cannot articulate the good news of who Jesus is to us right here, right now, it's not just past. It's not just future, but it is past, present, future. Jesus is good news. If we don't have that ingrained in here, if we can't articulate the difference that Jesus makes to us today, we're gonna have a really hard time expressing this good news to our friends, our neighbors, our family members, our coworkers, our colleagues. We're gonna find us continuing to point to the past and continuing to point to the future and a world saying, but what about now? You see, friends, the good news is Again, because Jesus did all of that in the past, we have hope for today that he is at work today. And if he is at work today, we have hope that we have a future when our lives pass on to the next. You see, we got to become a people who, who understand, not just from a cognitive level, but understand here. See, let me just say this. I, I genuinely do not think, I've, I've caught myself in the same sort of narrative, I, you know, saying things like, but I'm not good at sharing my faith. I'm not good at, at evangelism. I'm not gifted. I'm not spirit. God did not give me the spiritual gift of evangelism. I'm not trained. I need more training. I'm, I'm under-trained, under-ill-equipped. Uh, Friends, 
I don't know. That may be part of the equation. But I think the bigger issue is here right now that most of us deal with, that I know I deal with, is I have, I have not gotten to a place where my love for Jesus is so deeply ingrained that it spills over into my everyday lives. Friends, you don't need to be taught how to talk about the things that you love. You do it all the time. I do it all the time. My wife comes almost on a regular, Dan, I gotta tell you what I discovered. I gotta tell you what I found. I love it. This has changed my life, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, how many things can change your life? You know, like, it's like, this changed my life. You gotta see this thing. We don't need help talking about the things that we love. We talk about the things that we love. And so friends, could it be an issue, not of, you know, like not being trained enough or not being gifted enough or not being comfortable enough, could it be an issue of not treasuring the good news of who Jesus is. You see, for Paul, his preaching of the gospel came out, came out of a cherishing of the gospel. He treasured the gospel so much so that in places like Philippians, he says, I count everything as loss as compared to the surpassing worth that comes from knowing Jesus, my Lord. This is a guy who cherished the gospel in here, therefore it flowed out there. And so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about gospel fluency. To treasure the good news, what Christ has done, what he is doing, and what he will continue to proceed to do in the coming days and years ahead, when we treasure that good news in here, we begin to enter into this reality, this culture that God is shaping that is one marked by gospel fluency. It just begins to flow. The culture that God is wanting to develop is not only prayer dependent, is not only gospel fluent, but third and lastly, it is grace driven. It is grace driven. In the next verses, Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Friends, did you know that the posture we are to have in this world is one that reflects the very nature and the personhood of Christ? We represent him. Everywhere we go, everywhere we are, we represent him. How, and so here, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. How we show up in the world matters. Like how we show up in the world Matters. Like Paul says it a little bit differently. He, he says it in a different letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know this, right? He says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. What that means is, as a follower of Jesus, you do not represent yourself. As a follower of Jesus, I do not represent myself. We are ambassadors for Christ, and it's through us he is making his appeal to a world that he loves. And so Paul says, therefore, be mindful of your posture. Be aware of your attitude. Be aware of how you show up in this world that God sent his son to die for. You know this world that we sometimes hate and can't stand? You know that God sent his son to die for it? The degree that God loves, that Jesus loves this world, sometimes... I ask myself, why? (laughs) 
Why? And yet the love of God runs deep. And because of that, God says, hey, church, people of God, I want you to be mindful of how you show up in this world. To be honest, this is hard for me. This is hard for me. Some days it is really hard for me to care about what other people think, especially when I'm driving. Okay, so sometimes I gotta remind myself I'm a Jesus follower first, New Yorker second, okay? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christ lover and, and, and not a city dweller. You know, like that, that's, I gotta remind myself of that every now, and then this is hard for me to do, right? And, and if you were really honest with yourselves, whether it's road rage or whatever, you're like wherever in your life, isn't it true that we live in a culture that has taught us to give very little concern to what other people think? Oh, don't listen to him, he's being an idiot. Don't listen to her. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She's, yeah, she's just, you know, in almost sort of this dismissive way. And we deem that as good. This is righteous. Like, this is, this, is, this, is, this is right. In fact, you've heard people say, hey, live your truth. Translation, who cares about what anyone thinks? You do you. Except that's not what Scripture teaches. That's not what Paul seems to be saying here. Paul seems to be saying the very opposite. He's saying, I want you to care. I want you to be thoughtful in your speech. I want you to be mindful in your posture. I want you to be careful in your attitude towards others. No, look, I, you know, a lot of times, I, there have been times when my kids were younger and they're testing my patience, and they still do in different degrees, and, you know, and I'm out, I'm out in public, I'm out at Trader Joe's, I'm out at Wegmans, and I just want to rip them a new one, but I'm like, oh, I don't know if there are any church members here, you know, it's like, and, and I'm on campus, so I don't even know all of you, like, you, you know, like, you might be right down the, the other lane, and I'm ripping into my kids, like, that's Pastor Dan, you're like, what's, what's happening here, you know, like, and, and, and that's, that's a struggle for me, right, like, and I'm not saying, like, let's live for the audience of many, right? We know, we live for an audience of one. Yes, yes, yes. But I think we have subtly brought, bought into this notion that I really don't care what anyone thinks. I'm just gonna live my life. And yet we come to a passage like this and Paul says, time out. That's actually not the culture that God is seeking to create. That's a, that's a secular culture, it's a worldly culture, and there might be some validity to some of the things that they're, you know, vying for, yes, but, but that's not the way of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is to walk in grace. The grace in which you have received, so you extend to others. The grace in which you have received by God, so then you extend, extend that to others. By the way, uh, let me just say this. Did you notice what Paul said in that last verse? He, he said, let your speech always be gracious so that you know how you ought to answer each person, right? Okay, so, so I, wanna, I wanna make it clear. Paul is not saying, let your speech always be gracious so that you always have the right things to say, so you always have the right answers, so you always have the correct response, Paul is less concerned with you answering rightly and he's more concerned with you seasoning your speech with grace. Paul doesn't care that you get it right. But like, Paul's like, look, look, look Colossians, I'm not, I don't care that you win this argument for the kingdom. I don't care that you win this argument against the world and you stand on the right side of the argument, right side of the fence, and you say, I was right. Paul doesn't care about that. He's like, I'm not... 
I want, I want you to know how you ought to answer each person filtered through the grace of God. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you know how you ought to answer each person. How you ought to answer each person is with grace. I don't like this, Dan. I don't like this. I know. Do you want to know why God wants to create this kind of culture? Do you want to know why God wants to create this culture that is prayer-dependent, gospel-fluent, and grace-driven? I mean, aside from the fact that it all sounds great, it all sounds like, yeah, that sounds good. Um, God doesn't want to build this culture just because it sounds good. That's, that's kind of not how God operates. He wants to develop this kind of culture because these qualities describe who Jesus was. You, you, you seen that? Like, like, think about this. Jesus was prayer dependent. He was prayer dependent. Like, I, I mean, if there was, there, there was rarely ever a time where you wouldn't find Jesus on his knees praying to the Father. If he wasn't eating, if he wasn't performing some kind of miracle, if he wasn't preaching and teaching to the masses, the chances are, where's Jesus? Oh, he's praying. Yeah. <laughs> he's praying. He's on his knees. Like Martin Luther said, for Jesus, prayer was literally like the air in his lungs. He was deeply prayer dependent. Wasn't Jesus gospel fluent? Like, didn't, wasn't one of his primary messages, hey, I've come to bring good news? Like, everywhere he went, he brought the good news of the kingdom of God. To everyone he talked to, he brought the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus was the walking, living, breathing embodiment of euangelion, the good news of the kingdom of God. When you encounter Jesus, you were sure to walk away with good news and never bad news. Friends, I don't think I need to say this, but we are presently living in a world and in a time where we are bombarded with bad news. Everywhere you look, there is bad news. And you wanna know the crazy thing? We as the people of God hold the greatest news ever. And see, th this is what I'm talking about. Paul, like the, the reason why he was so gospel fluent, the reason why he flowed out of it was because he knew that. He knew that he held the greatest treasure in the world. Why, why in the world else would he say, everything else is rubbish. Everything else is trash as compared to the surpassing worth of Jesus in my life. That's, that's, that's a guy who understands and treasures the good news. And Jesus, everywhere he went, he brought good news. Imagine being a church where everywhere we went, we left that place with good news, with deposits of the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of what Jesus has done, is doing, and will continue to do. Imagine being a part of a culture like that. Man, I, I, I would freaking love that. I'm the campus guy, so I can say that, okay? I, 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 would, love, I would love being part of a culture like that. Finally, Jesus was grace-driven. Friends, if you... If you claim to know Jesus, but don't know the grace of God, I have to question your knowledge of Jesus. Jesus and grace are inextricably tied together. You cannot separate the two. 
not only was Jesus gospel fluent, but everywhere he went, he was moved with compassion and grace towards people. He was incredibly grace-driven. You see, my point is this. The reason why God is wanting to create a culture that is prayer-dependent, gospel-fluent, grace-driven is because this is everything that Jesus was and is, and he wants the church, you and me, to embody these exact values. He wants the church to represent him. Christ is the head, we are the body, we represent him. The reason why God is creating this culture, that's why God says, I want my church to be dependent on prayer. I want my church to be fluent in the good news of the gospel. I want my church to be driven by grace towards others. Because when that happens, we begin to operate like a healthy, thriving, growing body of believers, much like the early church that cannot be stopped by the gates of hell, that cannot be thwarted by the schemes and the plans of the enemy. When we allow this culture to begin to infiltrate our personal lives and then our corporate lives, man, will we have a revival on our hands to be a church that is prayer dependent, gospel fluent, and grace driven. But we don't create this culture. God does. Through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in all of us, he begins to build and develop and grow this culture. And so we need his help. And so can I pray that over us? Can I pray that for us here this morning? And then after I pray, the worship team is gonna, we're gonna end a little bit different. Um, the worship team is gonna sing a song over us. And it's, it's really a prayer. It, it's a prayer prayed from sort of a personal vantage point, but I pray that we would receive it from a corporate standpoint, that we would make this our collective prayer. And if, if you know it, you could stay seated and, and sing, but we're just gonna have, have you stay seated and the, the team will sing it over you. And if you don't know it, just receive it as, 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 as the ministry of, of the Holy Spirit here this morning. But let me just pray for us here before we, before we hand it over to the team. Let me, let me just ask the Lord for some help in this way. Lord, the, the notion of becoming the kinds of people that you want us to be sometimes feels daunting. It feels like a, a high bar. It feels like a reach. On, on one hand, it seems so rudimentary and simple, and yet on the other hand, so counterintuitive. Lord, to be a, a, a prayer-dependent people, Oh God, there's so many things that we depend on and we lean on and we rely on. And maybe even things that we uh, indirectly pray to. <laughs> Lord, we wanna, we wanna be a people that, that are so dependent on you that again, we truly do believe that apart from you, Jesus, we can't do anything. We can't live life. We can't go on any further. We, we need you. We want to be people who learn to treasure the good news of who Jesus is. We want to be a people who treasure what Christ has done, what he is doing now, and what he will continue to do in the ages to come. We want to be so fluent in the gospel and not just able to explain the gospel, but be a people who love and treasure the good news of Jesus that it just 
literally spills out over us that we cannot contain it, Lord. God, just, just make us that. Make us do that work right here, right now, in our hearts today. And make us people that would be so driven by the grace of God as we have received your grace. God, may we be the extension of the heart of God for this world that you have a heart for. Teach us. Teach us how to walk in grace. Teach us how to walk in humility. Teach us how to walk in compassion. And not buy into this this, this cultural narrative that says, I, I, I refuse to care about what anyone else thinks. Help us to discern and walk in wisdom in, 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 in those ways with, with those in our lives. Lord, we just, all of this, God, all of this, we just, we say, we need your help. <laughs> that's, that's the whole point of this prayer, God. We need your help. So Holy Spirit of God, would you flood our hearts, flood our lives right now in this moment. And we ask, God, that you would make us, your church, your bride, more like your son, Jesus. And go ahead and we give you permission to build that kind of culture in us, all around us, and amongst us.